in the interest of digging deep into issues that may affect the lives of people and someone here tonight, I'm sure everyone has to deal with this at some point or another in your life because it's just who we are. It's just who we are. It's how we're made and it's how we're wired. The most important thing that we need to understand is the balance of the universe. And if we can get our balance in order, if we can get our lives balanced and in order, we'll be aligned with God and with his will and with his purpose, and things can go well for us. Amen. Even if they don't go well for us on the outside, they can go well for us on the inside. On the inside. If I cannot change the way things look on the outside, I can change how I feel on the inside. It's really the only thing that we have control of. And so I'm going to deposit that. We're going to talk about this tonight. I'm reading... 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse number 3. I thank you for standing in honor of the word. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost with much assurance. You know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word with much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Ghost. I am so sorry. I think I need to be in Second Thessalonians. Oh, yes. I wrote down my fault. I wrote down 1 Thessalonians, but it's 2. I read from both today, so I got... Confused. Well, the word of God is good, even if I didn't quote it, I get, didn't get it in the right order for the sermon. <laughs> maybe, maybe some of you are taking notes, you'll get a sermon message out of what I read. But we're gonna, here's where we want to go. Second Thessalonians. It just gets confusing when they put two of the same kind of book in the Bible. You know, it's like, you know, what do I buy? Whole milk or skim milk? I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. Here we go. Here we go. All right. We got it right this time. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is me, because your faith groweth exceedingly. The charity of every one of you, all toward each other aboundeth, and so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Persecutions and tribulations. My, my, my. We're not alone, church. You're not alone in your troubles, right? All right, so we, we're in good company here. Everybody's got problems. Which is manifest, a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. We're talking about balance. God's going to balance things. He's balancing the universe. And even though, we go through stuff that shouldn't happen to us and isn't fair. In the service of God, when it happens, God is looking down the long view. And two things are going to come out of it. One is judgment is coming against those people that hurt you. But reward is coming to you. Stars in your crown. Honor is coming to you. Hallelujah. We need to understand. A lot of us don't want to suffer persecution in this world. We don't want to stand out and be a sore throat. We don't want to, it's getting dangerous to be a conservative American, much less to be a conservative fundamental Christian. It's getting really dangerous. So things are going to happen. But when it happens, bear in mind, God is fixing in his righteousness to judge those perpetrators of evil against his people and against his cause. But at the same time, the reward the honor and the blessing that we might be counted worthy to suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God. It is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I want to back up and from uh, <clears throat> verse 6 draw a theme from my thought 
It is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. We're going to talk about justice tonight. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now your blessing upon the word and that you will be with us, God, and you will help us. In the name of Jesus, I pray that someone tonight would be able to be helped by receiving and accepting what is being said here and that you would bless them and help them in their life to grow and to sustain and to be healthy in their body, soul, mind, and spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you. You may be seated. There's a scripture that says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything make your request known unto God. Be anxious. That means to be careful. To be careful for nothing or to be anxious for nothing. Be careful for nothing means be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about it. God's got it. We all deal with things that cause us anxiety and strife. Do we not? It bothers us. It bothers us. And when we have strife in our life, what happens to us? It affects everything. It, it, it affects us emotionally, and it affects us physically. We get sick. We get diseased in our bodies. It affects us mentally, and we can become unhinged and become, become unbalanced uh, if we're not careful. But, but above all, these things affect us spiritually as well because in every one of these situations, Satan finds an opportunity, an easy opening to exploit his message, which is always going to be against God. Do this against God. God doesn't really care about you. Do this against God. There's a quote that's been repeated often in, in different forms. It says, the wheels of justice turn slowly but exceedingly where this is attributed is from a Greek philosopher named Sextus Empiricus, who some 1,600 years ago wrote, The mills of the gods grind slowly, but they grind small. The explanation here is that at some point a sinner will be punished. At some point. Many decisions or events that are important in one's life may take time in coming about. Longfellow conveyed it to us in this way by translating a 17th century poet and poem. The poem was written by Friedrich von uh, Logau, and the, the, the title of the poem is Retribution. And he takes this Greek philosopher's words and he puts them down like this in Longfellow's English. Though the mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceedingly small. Though with patience he stands waiting, with exactness grinds all. Shakespeare mentioned the laws, the laws delays, the delay of the law, the laws delays. And he mentioned that in the context of it being a bane of life. Another cliche says justice delayed is justice denied. When we speak of justice, we are speaking of a concept of moral rightness based on ethics, rationality, law, natural law, fairness, and equity. A conception of justice is one of the key fe features of human society. And theories of justice vary greatly. There are several of them. I do not have time to talk about all of them. but. Uh, there is evidence that uh, they are supported by that everyday views of justice can be reconciled with patterned moral preferences. We human beings uh, are creatures that respond to patterned behavior, as do most creatures, right? Um, we have what is called learned behavior. Learned behavior is based upon patterns. Mathematics is humans, uh, is humans' digital expression, the ultimate expression of the recognition of patterns that repeat themselves over and over again. And so we are so conditioned by pattern to expect certain outcomes in life. And so when behavior follows the pattern, everything is fair and just. But when behaviors do not match the expected pattern, then suddenly things go awry. How many of us have found ourselves in a case of misunderstanding with someone, and it could be triggered in multiple facets, 
One of the easiest ways to get in trouble these days is through the internet by uh, things that we post, emails and postings and Twitters and all this kind of stuff. It's one of the easiest ways to get misunderstood in a hurry, isn't it? But oftentimes we, we get misunderstood in face-to-face, face-to-face uh, uh, talking with people simply because important cues are either missed or misinterpreted. I prefer when I need to have a communication with somebody, system face says you need to call so-and-so, you need to call so-and-so. If it's a diff- gonna be a difficult conversation, I will always tell her, no, I'm not gonna have this conversation on phone. I learned a long time ago, don't have it on email. Just do not. You, that you, when that email comes through, you just leave it in the box. You just leave it there in the box and you don't respond to it, you don't say anything. Because it's one of the quickest ways in the world to get in trouble and have a misunderstanding. I prefer the face-to-face because of body language and because of cues, which are so important. We speak multitudes, meanings, in gestures, in glances, in just so many ways that the body is. But there are times that that can be misinterpreted and we we get a misunderstanding because uh, an expected pattern was not responded to in the way we expected it to. Now all of a sudden our brain is sending signals to us and telling us, what did they mean? Are they mad at me? What did they really say? Did they insult me? What, what happened there? And, and, and you know, it can get really bad. How many of you know that? How many of you got a case of runaway-itis whenever it comes to missing something or misunderstanding something somebody says, you get runaway-itis, your brain goes to work overtime. You work on that. You read between the lines, you multiply, you divide, and you exponentially expound the problem out there. And by the time it's all said and done, that person was did the most terrible, evil, worst, horrible thing to you, and that person is completely in the dark about it. And the next time you don't speak to them and you are rude to them, and they walk by and they think, what did I do? Huh? What did I do? And so now they're struggling about how to respond to this unexpected deviation of a pattern of behavior. They don't know how to deal with that. You see how quickly life gets out of balance about this thing? My daughter over here, when she was young, she always had this thing. It's not fair. It's not fair. What did I always tell you, Rhonda? Life isn't fair. fair. And now what does she tell her kids when they say, it's not fair? Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. You see what I'm talking about? We expect, by a pattern, we expect a certain outcome. And when it doesn't happen, our sense of justice is now challenged. And there is a debt owed us, a self-imposed debt owed us, or demanded by us, for justice. And things can get ugly in a hurry in this way. John Rawls claims that justice is the first virtue of social institutions as truth is of systems of thought. When you compare these two things, how can society function? How can any two people or any group of people, any continent of people get along without some conception of truth, of what is right and wrong, and of justice. These are lines that, for most people, have very clear meaning, truth. It's either true or it's not true. Two plus two equals four, or it equals five, or it equals half a dozen, or uh, 13, or whatever it is you want it to, to Today, moral relativism has changed truth into whatever you want it to be. And it has gotten to the point where people will say, well, that's your truth, but this is my truth. But what is the truth? What is the truth, you know? Uh, and so uh, we, we, we have a complete breakdown of society when we do not have a very clear definition or understanding or dividing point between what is true and what is not, between what is fair and what is not, between what is just. Studies at UCLA in 2008 indicated that reactions to fairness are wired into the brain and that it activates the same part of the brain that responds to food in rats with their study. There's a reward system 
there uh, when the sense of justice is met. There's, there's a reward to that. And so it's just, it's just wired into us. So it's consistent with the notion that being treated fairly satisfies a basic need. How many of you believe that to be true? You, you, you want to be treated fair, and when you're not, there is a surefire need that is being established in your life. The law of retaliation called lex talionis, lex talionis, is a military concept of retribution, of retributive justice, which says that re reciprocity should be equal to the wrong sufferer, life for life, wound for wound, strife for strife. God is behind that law. We know from the Old Testament, right? Uh, limb for limb, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's the law of lex talionis. It is an exacting sense of justice uh, and of retribution. Now, there are many concepts of justice. We don't have time to go into all of them, but I will, I will just simply relate to you very briefly two of them, law and natural law. Natural law is not a written law. Natural law is the most basic concept of what is fair, what is equal, what is equitable between you and I. And uh, it is, it is inimical, inimical to each person, the natural law. And so there is no clear definition of what natural law means because natural law for one may be a little bit different from the natural law of another person. So we don't really understand, but there is a, a, gen, a generality to natural law and just the basic equation of what is fair, what is just, and what is right. And we learned this, I think, early on because when we hit terrible two and it's me and mine, and you do not want to share, and everything else that the other kid has, you want that, and you do not want the other kid to have anything that you have, and your parent <laughs> is teaching you, you got to share, you got to share, and you're saying, no, -uh, no, -uh, it don't fit my natural law. But in time, we are trained to learn that natural law, it means to be equal, to share and to share alike. And, and we, we learn that in time. That's natural law. That's natural law. You know, good manners and, and, and all. That's part of the natural law. And it sets up patterns of behavior and that we have expected outcomes of behavior. And when these things do not happen, there's problems. And then we need dear Abby, as Bunker calls her, dear Abby. <laughs> Uh, or, or somebody else to consult us uh, and tell us how, what's the right thing. Somebody's book of etiquette, you know. You've got to get the book of etiquette out and figure it out. And when you're in, uh, when you're in a, uh, an organized meeting of some kind of an organization, then you need Robert's Rules of Order, right, to tell you what is fair and what is equitable and what is right. Well, let me consult Robert's. You know, let me see if we got this right, you know. Uh, so we get real defined in our, our patterns of behavior, behavior and go right out to all kinds of extremes uh, with that. But then there is law. And the law says, the law says, if you do this, such, such a thing should happen. If you break the law, there should be a, a consequence to the law. So now this law is imposed upon us. And uh, the laws may be more or less just or equitable or fair. Can anybody think of or name some laws? on the American books, past or present, that were unequitable and unfair and unjust and unright. Of course we all can. We can look back at the long history of the United States and we can think of laws that got thrown out because they were bad and horrible. I can think of a few right now that I wish could be thrown out because they're terrible. But that's the way things are. And so just because the law says that it's so doesn't make it right but it does have consequences. And so we expect that when the law is broken, there are going to be certain consequences to our behavior. But, uh, you know, somebody said a long time ago to me, said, what goes around comes around. They, you ever heard that expression? What goes around comes around. So, you know, uh, take it all in stride because, you know, if they did it, they're not going to get away with anything. We need to understand that nobody gets away with anything. 
because it would set God's universe out of balance. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God. A righteous thing with God. Hallelujah. To recompense tribulation on them that trouble you. Now, who here hasn't heard of Jesse James and the James Younger Gang? Right? From the old American West. Anybody know anything about Jesse James? All right. For 20-something years, it was the most feared gang in American history. Did terrible things. And uh, how it got started is an interesting story, and the end result of what happened is a very interesting story. For it seems that during the Civil War, when Jesse was only 16 years old, in 1863, the Union soldiers came to the James farm, and Jesse was the son of a Baptist minister and a well-established farming family in Missouri. And uh, the Union soldiers came and brutally attacked the farm. There were atrocities committed. Jesse and his younger brother Frank fled and hid to save their lives and soon after joined the Confederate forces uh, known as Quantrill's Raiders. And so they rode with William Quantrill and Bloody Bill Anderson. Anybody know anything about these guys? These were Confederate guerrilla fighters. They were not officially part of the Confederate Army, but they were fighting for the Confederate cause. But in the process of, in the process of that, they committed war crimes and atrocities. They were, they were brutal. They murdered and killed Union soldiers taken captive. They were uh, at total war with the North, and uh, so they, and also. And also, they got even with any of their, of their enemies that had crossed them in any way. They took advantage of what they were doing to, to rob and to steal and to kill and to, to do these kinds of things. And so when the Civil War ended, Frank and Jesse were cast out, uh, as so many Confederate soldiers were, uh, on society. And uh, the legislation that came down from the north to the south with the carpetbaggers the civil legislation so uh, badly uh, offended uh, the Southerners that uh, uh, Frank and, and Jesse found it unacceptable to live under the, uh, the laws that were being posed upon them by the North. And so they took the law in their own hands. Now, when you take the law in your own hands, Brother Randy, what does that make you? A vigilante, A vigilante and an outlaw. You're an outlaw took the law in their own hands, and they began a, to go on a string of attacks. Now, they only robbed stagecoaches, trains, and banks that were operated by northern enterprises. So in their mind, in their mind, I joined Quantrill's Raiders because of an injustice that happened to me and my family, and we're going to get even. And we'll find a way to do that. They did. When that was over, because they, the South lost to the North, and they didn't think it was fair, and they lost their fortune, they said, we're going to take it away from them. We're going to go after their money, and we're going to take it. And so from 1862 to 1888, from 1860 to 1888, there began a series of depredations and raids. And in, in their community in Missouri, the other Southerners that were around them, considered them to be uh, social justice warriors and heroes. And so anytime they were in their home area, their peeps got, got their back. And whenever the sheriffs or the marshals came looking for them or whoever it was that came after them, they, they found friends that would hide them and take care of them. So they continued on this train of uh, uh, this rampage of killing and so forth. And, so it was in uh, 1869, they robbed a bank in Gallatin, Missouri, and there, asking, for, asking the banker for change for a $100 bill as an excuse, Jesse shot the banker to death, shot him in the heart, because he thought the banker had killed Bloody Bill. So I'm going to get revenge. Bang. This put a price on the James gang head. And uh, they continued to raid, and they continued to ride, to rob, and to steal and stole hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, but 
over time. Over time, the hunt was on for Jesse James and the James gang. And uh, what happened was uh, gov the governor of the state put out such a high reward for them that it was impossible to ignore. And Bob Ford, Bob and Charlie Ford, who were members of the gang, James Younger gang, conspired with the governor to catch him, to turn him in for the reward. And so how it happened in April, April 3rd, 1882, after breakfast at Jesse's house with Bob and Charlie Ford there, Jesse got up and turned his back to straighten a picture on the wall. Every time you go to straighten a picture on the wall, you're probably going to think of this. He turned his back to straighten up a picture on the wall, and Bob Ford shot him in the back of the head, killed him dead. And, of course, claimed the reward. He and his brother claimed the reward. But the community, which loved Jesse and Frank, uh, considered these guys cowardly traitors and ran them out of town. And Charlie, being, being cowardly, really was so scared that Frank was going to come after him and kill him that he committed suicide not long after. Took care of it for Frank. Can you imagine that kind of fear? It was <clears throat> 10 years later, Bob Ford was ran out, of the, ran out of the state, and he was in Colorado, in Creed, Colorado, which was the new boom town there, and he had himself set up a temporary saloon tent. This is 1892. And uh, a man walked in, uh, Ed, Edward Capehart O'Kelly, walked in. Nobody really knows why he did it. Somebody may have talked to him, put him up to it. Bob Ford had kind of made a reputation as the man who shot Jesse James. So this man, O'Kelly, walked into the tent with a loaded shotgun in his hand, and he said, hello, Bob, and shot him right in the neck. What goes around comes around, right? What goes around comes around. But, <laughs> into the story. Now O'Kelly's walking all around saying, I shot the man that shot Jesse James. I'm a bad guy. I'm a bad guy, right? And so he made trouble everywhere he went. And it was so in 1904. He had been arrested several times. And the police officer that was arrested him, he threatened him. I, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot the man that arrested me again. He let it get out on town. And so here it comes, the police officer to, to arrest him again. And they got into a scuffle. It got to be a deadly scuffle. And O'Kelly was shooting off the gun, shooting off the gun, and bullet holes were showing up in the policeman's jacket and in his gloves, you know, and, and they were calling for help. And O'Kelly bit both of his ears off, you know, in the scuffle and the fight. Uh, uh, but somebody came over and helped the policeman and he turned the gun and he shot O'Kelly dead two times. Bang, bang. Shot him dead. What goes around comes around. The police officer, being an upholding, upstanding citizen and a beholder of the law, died in his bed in 1917 uh, of natural causes. Hallelujah. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? I'm talking about justice, justice. And so bad things are going to happen to people who do bad things, and that's one of the rules of God. It's one of the laws of God. And we need to understand that and relax our brain and our mind and our thought and our life processes into the hands of a God who knows what happened better than we do and who is watching our back, who has our back, and who's looking at us and saying, look, I see you suffering. You're suffering and you're doing the right thing about it, which is to leave it alone and let me handle it. And because of that, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to reward you. But do not forget that I'm coming after those who sinned against you. There's going to be judgment for all those things. You ever have one of these days? A college professor answered his telephone at 3 a.m. in the morning. This is your neighbor, Mr. Smith, said the voice on the other end of the line. Your dog is barking and keeping me awake. Come on. The professor thanked and kindly and hung up. The next morning, Mr. Smith's telephone rang exactly at 3 a.m. 
This is the professor that lives next door, said the caller. And I just wanted you to know that I don't even have a dog. <laughs> we all want justice. We all think about vengeance and what we can do maybe to have it happen to us. There was one passerby uh, called a police officer and saw a man drive a new automobile into the fenders of a parked car. It was a brand new automobile and he's just driving, crash, kaboom, into a parked car. And uh, when the officer pulled over and stopped him from doing it and got up, said, what are you doing? And the man explained to him, he said, look, he said, I own both of these cars and I'm just having revenge on the old car for giving me so much trouble. That's kind of like biting off your, your nose to spite your face, but you, you get the point. I mean, we, we sometimes things just get us so unbalanced, so unbalanced because it didn't go right. It did not happen the way it should happen. And we have a reaction to it that's way off the chart somewhere. We have some of those times and some of those days. Remember, our desire for justice is logical. It's based on pattern moral preferences. It's, it's a condition of societal necessity, and it's wired into our brains. So it's a strong, compelling need. I understand that. I get it. And God does too. Even God enters the picture, right, with lex talionis. Eye for eye, limb for limb, tooth for tooth, life for life. But sometimes... Things do not get resolved the way we think that they should. Now, I say this to you because I want you to understand that our sense of justice is in large part unique to our personality. There are other conditions by which we can measure what is just and whether we use law and you broke the law and this is the consequence and what the law book says will happen is what it should happen. Uh, but, but so many times it doesn't happen that way. And, uh, you know, then there's natural law, which is unique to each and every one of us, and we don't all agree on what the natural law is. So, so we need to understand that this driving need in us to get even and to have justice and to have balance in our life is a force that's so strong and it's so compelling that if we're not careful, it will carry us away. It will lead us to an extreme measure. Take the man who shot his wife to death when he caught her in bed with her lover. Why? She cheated on him. Kaboom. Or the wife who does the same thing to the husband that cheated on her. Kaboom. So, uh, you might say, well, <laughs> they got what was coming to them. They got justice. But, you know, is it? Is it justice? No, it's not justice. Something bad should happen to them, but that's when you take the thing too far. That's when you take the thing too far. Anybody ever, ever have a problem with, I'm going to get even with you if it's the last thing I do. You just wait and see. When you least expect it, boom, it's going to happen. I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get even with you. And you can't leave it alone. You cannot let it go. It's in the back of your mind all the time. You did me wrong, and you just wait and see. I'm going to get you. That driving need for justice is so compelling that if it's not captured, if it's not controlled, if it's not reined in, if it's not measured by the reindeer, you probably know this as a law officer many, many years. You've had to go into domestic disputes and other kinds of problems where these very things that I'm talking about were a source and an issue in trouble that outbroke in someone's life. What happened? Their sense of right and wrong was offended. And so they did a Jesse James. And they turned it around. Uh, <clears throat> this really happened. It happened in Kentucky. There was a man by the name of Lucian. And he served the state of Kentucky above and beyond the call of duty. And one day he discovered that an old friend of his named Sam was in the penitentiary. And he had eight more years to serve. And so Lucian 
went to the warden and he asked if he could talk to Sam. So they let him in, they talked, for nearly two hours went by and, and oh, they had such a good time. They were both, finally at the end of it, they were both laughing and talking about some incidents and things, funny things that happened in their youth uh, because they'd been raised together. And so just such a, such a good meeting and he had such a good feeling about, about it. So a month later, Lucian uh, went to see the governor and visited the governor. He said, I have not been able to sleep, governor, because my good friend Sam, my boyhood buddy, he's in prison now. Governor, he was a good boy. And since you told me that if there's anything that the state of Kentucky could do for me, to name it, so here's what I want. I came here today to ask you for a pardon uh, to, for my friend Sam. Now, and, and Governor, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take him into my business, and I'll take him in my home because he doesn't have a family, and I got a big house, I got room for him. We'll take care of Sam. You just let me have him out of prison. Give him a, give him a pardon. And so a week later, the governor sent for him, said, uh, come over here, I want to talk to you about, about it. He said, he said, here's your pardon. I, I've written it out. Here's your pardon. I'm going to give it to you under one condition. And that is that you go back and you sit down in the warden's office and you talk with Sam for two more hours. And then if you think you should give him the pardon, then you can take him home and I will parole him for you. So Lucian hurried over to the penitentiary, and, he, and they sat down again in the warden's office, and Lucian said, Sam, said, when you get out of here, will you go into business with me? Uh, he said, I might even be able to get you out of here sooner than you expect to get out. And Sam got up, and he walked around for a while, thinking about getting out. He looked out the window, kept looking out the window, it was quiet for a while. And finally he said, he said, you know, he said, I don't believe I can accept that invitation for I've got something to do when I get out of here, something very important, and I'm going to do it just as soon as I get out of here. Well, what is it, Sam? Lucian asked. Sam turned around and fire glinted from his eyes. Hatred filled his whole face. And he says, I'm going to get them two men together, the judge who sent me up here and the one witness and I'm going to kill them both with my bare hands. So Lucian got up and he left the warden's office with a pardon in his pocket. Sam wasn't going to get out. Why? Sometime our sense of justice and things should happen, don't happen. But there's a reason why they don't happen. Only God may know the reason why. It did not happen. And you're a child of God. You're a servant of God. Your heart is right. You didn't do anything bad or wrong. You were badly treated. And you want justice. You want it so bad. It's driving you and it's forcing you. And it seems like the wicked are getting away with it. They're going to get away with it. But they're not going to get away with it. Paul told us in Romans 12 and 19. He said, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for it is written, I will take vengeance. I will repay those that deserve it, says the Lord. It's one of the abiding principles of the law of God is that we do not become vigilantes acting out upon our own sense of justice and trying to straighten out the balance of life and the cosmos. God's got it. And if they broke God's law, don't you worry about it, honey. If they hurt you breaking God's law, don't you stress yourself and worry about it. You sit back there with the same faith and confidence that you have everywhere else to God because you serve him. Put these matters in his hands as well and go to sleep and get some rest. Hallelujah. God gives his beloved rest and sleep in the night. Don't be anxious about it. Don't worry about it. Put it in God's hands. Say, God, I can't deal with this anymore. This offends me. This was bad. It hurt me. But I don't want to carry around this feeling. And I know you've got it. I know that it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation against those that trouble me. So I'm going to trust you, God. 
Proverbs 24, 17, and 18 says it like this. It says, Rejoice not when thy enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. That's hard to do sometimes. When we do finally see the rascals get what was coming to them, it's hard not to dance with glee. It's hard not to show expressions. But, you know, when it's coming down the pike, it's coming. Right? It's coming. It's coming. Uh, be quiet. Be quiet. With the same quietude you held on to all these times waiting for it to happen, be quiet about it and let God deal with it. Let God deal with it. Because if we do an unjust thing ourselves, we stop the justice of God. Because after all, he's looking at what's fair. At what's fair. And in order for him to really fix the imbalance that was created between you and the other party, you have to stay out of it. Because the minute you get into it, you have changed the balance of what is fair. Change the balance. It's like this. Somebody did you wrong and you insist and demand they apologize to you. Well, they'll do it. But what reward is there going to be in it for you? Think about it. You have already entered into the equation. Instead of waiting for them to realize that they had hurt you and feel bad about it and come to, come to you without you making any expression of being hurt and saying to you, I realize I did you wrong and I'm sorry. That would have really filled your heart up with balance, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it, Rhonda? That would have really made you just feel great about that person if you never said one word or boo to them and they came to you and said to you, I did you wrong. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Oh, your heart would be so warm to them. All the balance would be there. But when you say, you better apologize to me or else, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're going to get about as much warmth and gratitude out of that, you know. <laughs> It'd be a little bit. It really, really don't matter, does it? You made them say you're sorry, but they, they really ain't sorry. They just wanted to have peace with you and you really didn't get what you were looking for anyway you see what i'm talking about so when we rejoice when god is fixing it it's like okay you know we've entered into the equation and we've robbed ourselves of that sense of balance injustice the next two verses in psalms 19 and 20 say fret not thyself because of evil men neither be thou envious of the wicked it's what we're talking about isn't it Fret not thyself because of evil men. Don't worry about it. Don't be envious or jealous of the wicked and think that they're getting away with it. For there shall be no reward to the evil man. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. If we trust our Bible, and this is Bible, there's some good stuff in here that's going to help us. It's going to help us pull back all that anger that's bottled up inside of us that's going to explode someday. And it's going to throw our life out of balance and the lives of other people out of balance as well because we're so mean and so angry and so upset. We're holding on to so much stuff. Why can't we find peace? We fail to forgive. And while God's justice will ultimately even the score, God's justice has no power against God's redemption. is profound. This is where our sense of justice has to stop. This is where we have to let it go. God's justice has no power against God's redemption. What was the most horrible murder that ever took place on the planet? The murder of God's only son. By humanity. We all are guilty of murdering God's only son. God knew it when he sent him into the world. Humanity would murder my son. That was the most horrible, terrible, worst evil that has ever been perpetrated on this planet. But out of it comes redemption. Because while the downside is our sins killed him on the cross, 
The upside is his willingness to surrender and submit to the cross. The man who said, turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, and give the shirt off your back. Hung on the cross without fighting or complaining against it. He did not cry, no justice, no justice. And the Lord knew exactly when to send Jesus Christ to this earth. Right? Because the Bible says when the fullness of time was fully come, God sent forth his son, made under the law, born of the flesh. What was the exact right time to send him? The exact right time to send him was five, 400 years, 500 years after the destruction of Jerusalem and, and the return of Jerusalem and the imposition of Judaic law and the Sanhedrin and synagogues. And it led Jewish people to the ultimate, to the ultimate expression of hypocrisy, legalism, and self-righteousness. And to add to that, he, God turned up the heat by waiting for the Roman oppressors to come down on them and make their energy even hotter. Hypocrisy, legalism, tradition, self-justification, religiosity. He waited to the exact time was right in his own people, in his own nation of Israel when all the conditions were perfect, perfect for them to justify killing the one who came saying his father was greater than Abraham and who do you make yourself out to be? You being a man make yourself out to be God. At no other time, at no other time in history were the conditions so perfect and so right for his own people to kill him than at this time in history. You see what I'm saying? And the most egregious, horrible, terrible murder that ever happened was the murder of God's son on the cross. And yet, out of it came redemption, the positive redemption, that when the sinner acknowledges his sin and crime to God, and cries out to the Lord Jesus for salvation and for mercy. Amen. That same one that died on the cross took death in the place of the sinner. And, and took upon himself the righteous judgment of God. The full expression of God's law and judgment against fallen mankind. He took it upon himself on the cross and he gave it. He exchanged it for the prisoner at the bar. You and I. He gave it to us. Amen. And so we don't come in our righteousness. The only righteousness we have is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So there are times when your sense of justice is never going to be answered in this life because God's sense of balance would be destroyed. Why do you say that, Pastor? Well, Paul told us in 1 Timothy 5.24, some men's sins go beforehand, go open beforehand, going before judgment to the judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. So whether you do good or bad, it's going to come to notice. If you do good and it's apparent to all, you're going to be blessed. And if you do good and it's not seen yet in time, God will reveal it. It cannot be hid. It's going to be shown. Your good works that no one credited you for on this earth, that was not just, but God's going to make it up to you. And you're going to shine when, when, when it's seen. At the same time, sin is a problem. It's a problem. Whether, whether, where, whenever it happens, it's a problem. But some men's sins are open beforehand, going before them to the judgment. And some men's sins follow after which man, which sin do you want to have on your book? You want to have the ones that's open going before you to judgment because that's the one that you've confessed and sent on to God through Jesus Christ and have been forgiven. That open sin that went before you to judgment has already been dealt with. The one that follows after is the one that's going to kill you. 
That's the one that God's ultimate judgment is going to come down. Let's stand together. And for those whose evil seemed to be unrequited in this life, see the book of Revelation and see the incense that is poured out of the censer upon the earth, which is the prayers of the saints that were mistreated and killed and persecuted for his namesake on this earth. And God takes all that that did not get answered in life, did not get balanced in life, you see, and it gets weighed up in the balance of heaven till it's lopsided and one-sided, and it cannot happen anymore, and God upturns the censer and pours it out back on the heads of the unjust and the wicked on this earth, for God is going to balance his universe. And in the meantime, God wants us to walk in balance because it's good for us to be balanced. You see what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Just take a moment. Bow our heads. Close our eyes and pray. Talk to God out of your heart. If you have unresolved issues in your heart that are causing you to be unbalanced and your sense of justice and fairness is not being satisfied in life, I'm inviting you at this point in time to consider what I've, what I've shared with you and what I've said to you about letting go and letting God. Hallelujah. Because if that person wronged you, deserves it, they're going to get it. But if God forgave them, there's, not, there's nothing to talk about anymore except for you to forgive them and to move on with your life. Hallelujah. Lord, in Jesus' name I pray right now, God, that you would bring health, health and healing to the body to touch and move in our hearts and our minds because I know that no one wants to live with that kind of pain that kind of hurt and that kind of injustice forever and be motivated. I know that they don't want to live like that. Lord, and I pray, God, today that healing would come from your wings, from your hands. Send healing, Lord Jesus. Send, and let us find a place of peace in our heart and in our life. In the name of Jesus. And that we turn that person over to you. And we say, God, I put it in your hands. I put it in your hands. It was wrong. It was painful. It was horrible. It was bad. It should not have happened to me. But I am not going to do anything about it. I'm going to let you deal with it as only you can deal with it. In Jesus' name. Let's give God a hand praise right now. In the name of Jesus. I thank you, praise the Lord. I thank you, praise the Lord. In Jesus' name. God bless you. What goes around comes around. Until the mercy, for the merciful, they should obtain mercy. Right? Give mercy. God bless you. We're dismissing Jesus.